0: victimology poker on clown world america's new national pastime and its end game and this is the audio version of an article that I uh, wrote on my blog it was published july 9th it's on a ghost and uh now on the actual article itself there's citations for those of you that care about that kind of thing you know it's not peer-reviewed but there are citations okay I'm not just making this stuff up, y'all. All right. The incomparable gad-sad popularized the term victimology poker, which refers to the uniquely Western pathology of making a virtue out of being a victim, even to the point of greatly exaggerating or even outright inventing traumas to enhance one's status. Older generations referred to this simply as having a pity party. But younger millennials and Gen Z have made this form of self-sabotage America's new national pastime. Now forget baseball, let's get intersectional. That's the way we're going to entertain ourselves in the 21st century. There's an inverse correlation between claims of victimhood and actual victimhood. It's so not to deny the existence of real trauma or real victims, but in recent years, there has been a paradoxical phenomenon that has become impossible to ignore. Despite actual data clearly showing that America has less oppression on the basis of race, gender, ethnicity, or sexual orientation than ever before, the claims of such oppression have increased both in frequency and intensity. Although brown-skinned Indian Americans and Nigerian Americans vastly outperform the native white population, we are nonetheless told, that America is deeply and systemically white supremacist on every level. And despite the fact that girls are overwhelmingly doing better than boys these days, we're still told that girls need extra help and encouragement to overcome an oppressive patriarchy. What gives? Uh, Hanlon's razor does not explain the prevalence of anti-straight white male agitprop. Despite Hanlon's razor i.e. never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity, I've really begun to wonder whether mere stupidity or incompetence is an adequate explanation for what we see. We live in a clown world where our culture's prevailing narrative is not just a little off, it's the complete 180 degree opposite of reality. Why is that? Boys today are propagandized to hate themselves. When a boy turns on the television, unless the show was created prior to the rural purge of the early 1970s, there's a link uh, to the Wikipedia article on that. Yes, it is a thing. Early 1970s, TV executives were like, hey, there's too many shows that appeal to this rural demographic. We need to focus more on the young urban hit crowd. And urban back then, I don't know that it meant that it was synonymous with black yet. I think urban just meant urban, you know. Uh, so anyway, by that, they meant basically the, the predecessors of today's hipsters. They're like, we got to focus our shows on these, this group. Cause this is the future of America. This is anyway. So yeah, they got rid of all the rural shows, uh, red skeleton, hee haw, things like that. Beverly hillbillies. And they got a bunch of shows that like, you know, all in the family, you know, things like that. Very kind of woke for their own day. Um, Yeah, anyway, if the show, unless the show was created prior to that rural purge, the men on the show will almost certainly be buffoons. Father does not know best. In fact, Father is such an imbecile, everybody else is better off when he's not even around. Note, there's an exception to that. That was the uh, format of Father is an Idiot. And does not know best Was challenged in the 1980s By the wildly popular Cosby show But, unfortunately Because the star of the show Committed crimes against women's kind Off screen So, not in the show He's not depicted as being A chauvinist or a rapist Or any of that But, you know The guy playing Cliff Huxtable um, On the Cosby show The namesake of the show, Bill He, uh, you know Was a piece of shit in his personal life Alright so now we got to pretend like that show never happened. Erase it from the air, you know, or erase it from memory hole. It basically, you know, cause crimes against womankind. So anyway, yeah, the most popular show of the 1980s, the, the iconic sitcom of that era has been memory holds. You can't find it to stream it to, you know, I mean, you can buy overpriced DVDs of it still. That's pretty much about it. Anyway, in most sitcoms and movies created over the past 50 years, Hollywood has been very careful to ensure that the classic role of the fool, and think about Shakespeare here, you know, the fool, every one of his comedies has somebody playing a fool, you know, saying stupid things. Yeah, you know, you have to be kind of smart to play the fool, basically a clown. But the fool always goes to the man, while his female castmates are invariably portrayed as smart and sophisticated. Think about the advertisements. When do you see... A man and a woman in an advertisement, and the man is the smart one, and the woman is a complete buffoon. doesn't usually happen. Usually, well, 100% of the time, it's the other way around. The man is a fucking idiot, and the woman is like suffering through him, and ha ha ha, the audience's sympathies are with her because he's such a buffoon. He's so full of himself, but he's a buffoon. Right? Mansplaining. Or Whatever. Right, and not only is he mansplaining and manspreading and man doing this with his toxic masculinity, but he's completely wrong too. He's just so full of shit, man. He's just like completely illiterate, and uh, you know can't even tie his own shoes, can't do anything for himself. Yet somehow he runs the world and oppresses everybody else. Anyway, that's the image in the media of manhood, maleness that people see as they grow up in this culture, right? So, and then when boys, after they've watched television, if they watch television and they see these things in advertisements and sitcoms and movies, like the boys are the idiots, the girls are the smart ones. When boys go to school, they're taught mostly by women and encounter mostly female authority figures. In the classroom, the energy and restlessness of boys is seen as a problem, but rather than acknowledge that boys and girls could be different. Oh my goodness. Could sex and gender, could that be biological? No, it's a social construct. Yet, despite it being a social construct, if you really feel fundamentally on a spiritual level that you're, you know, really a man, transcendentally beyond this world, beyond your life in this world, you're a man from the beginning of time. But somehow, nature assigned you to the wrong gender at birth. Well, you know, anyway. So we're not sure what a man or a woman is nowadays. Um, unless there's a gender pay gap then we're very sure what a woman is or there's abortion you know well i take that back we don't know because even then you know there are men who need abortions now apparently men can get pregnant and we're we're confused as a culture so anyway um but if you're a boy growing up (laughs) you're you're not taught hey maleness is something good even some females feel like, hey, maleness is awesome. I want to be a male. I'm really a male, you know. No, it's only positive if a, if a female does that. But if you are born a male and you're just growing up, you're taught pretty much explicitly. And it's definitely all over embedded in the culture. Maleness is toxic. Uh, so anyway, the boys go to school. They have a lot of restless energy relative to the girls. And that's a problem. So rather than acknowledging, hey, maybe there's like differences in the genders and maybe boys and girls develop differently and should have some differences in their education, maybe more of a hands-on learning style might be appropriate for boys. Nope, the female educators label the boys as troublemakers and encourage parents to medicate them into submission. Take your Adderall, take your ADD medicine, you know, or whatever. Um, Under the oppressive rule of a safety-first mindset, teachers and administrators carefully limit opportunities at recess or gym class for the kind of rough and tumble play that boys crave. And when boys act up in class, rather than giving them more physical exercise to do, Hey, that's something the army figured out. It's how you get privates to pay attention in basic training. Just smoke the shit out of them. You know, Hey, you getting sleepy over there, private front, any rest position move. So yeah, you know, You do physical exercise, that helps people (laughs) stay focused. But instead of doing that, then then studies, the science, if you will, actually shows that, yes, that helps improve outcomes, reduces misbehavior, reduces incidents of violence and so forth in schools by having more physical activity, especially for the boys. Instead of doing that, the boys are acting up, we're going to take away their recess. They withhold opportunities for physical exercise. If the boys have too much, and I'm talking especially as young boys, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, you know. And, uh, you know, now here's, I just want to say as a caveat, if if you're a first grade teacher, second grade teacher, I'm not saying that you're to blame for this because you're really kind of put into a losing battle, a a, a no-win situation if you're an elementary school teacher. I mean, you're really not. In our culture, there's... Education is done now top down, you know, even school boards of small municipalities. You see all the videos of them telling parents who are complaining about the curricula, you know, your time is up. Uh, You will not sit here and, uh, and criticize what we're doing. You know, there's lots of videos out there of school board members just a local office a local like very low on the political hierarchy right you're a million miles away from becoming president of the united states yet they act like i'm the king of this domain you will respect my authority like cartman on south park you know your time is up cut his mic off we shouldn't have to listen to this crap from you proles from you peasants coming in and second guessing us in terms of our decisions yeah so anyway uh, education done from the top down and there's all these decrees about what we're going to teach and how we're going to teach it. And, you know, James Lindsay has done a good job of showing the influence of cultural Marxism on pedagogy or, you know, elementary and secondary education in our culture, you know, the communists basically captured all the teachers colleges and, you know, kind of like, interestingly, if you read animal form, um, Early on in the book, there's this growing tension, if you remember, between Snowball the pig and Napoleon the pig, right? Napoleon being more modeled after Stalin, uh, Snowball being modeled after Trotsky, I guess it being a a parody of the Russian Revolution and its aftermath, right? And um, So anyway, Snowball's got all these things that he's doing with the current working animals, whereas Napoleon in that uh, story... Is focused. He he ignores a lot of that and is focused on the young. He says There's not much that can be done for people who are already, you know, grown up. But educating the young—that's what I'm going to focus on. So he, you know, of course, trains up these dogs to become basically his attack dogs. You know, so it's kind of a communist ploy, a Stalinist ploy. But that's one that the Marxists in America um, basically used, and uh, they've become quite successful at it. So anyway. There is basically a communist ideology that pervades elementary education in this culture. I mean, that informs a lot of it. And so anyway, one of those things seems to be, for whatever reason, boys bad, girls good, you know. And boys act up more. So anyway, when they act up, it's like, take away the recess. Which doesn't make a lot of sense. Because, again, studies, the science, if you care about that kind of thing, show... Giving boys more physical activity leads to more attention. Them paying better attention and engaging more in class and all that, right? Less misbehavior and so forth. So anyway, punishing young boys' restlessness by taking away recess makes about as much sense as noticing that they are not paying attention because they're hungry and then deciding to take away their lunch break. Hey, you're not paying attention? Your stomach's growling? Well, no lunch for you. You're going to learn to pay attention. Yeah. And despite the incontrovertible fact... That males are more likely to get in trouble in school, get suspended from school, drop out of school, work in lower paid manual labor jobs that carry a greater risk of injury and death, get involved with the criminal justice system, abuse drugs and alcohol, end up homeless, be the victims of every category of violent crime except rape. So yeah, rape is mostly done against girls, but all the other ones being the victim of murder, assault, robbery, you know. Uh, men are the overwhelmingly, or males are overwhelmingly the victims of those crimes. They're much more likely to get murdered, or badly beaten up, jumped, you know, all that sort of stuff. They're much more likely to be incarcerated than females, to end up on death row, to commit suicide, etc. All these sorts of outcomes that are negative, that are more likely to happen to boys than to girls as they get older. And despite the incontrovertible fact that females are more likely to get better grades in school, finish high school, go to college, graduate college, get a job in their chosen field, after college, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Despite all that and that's true today, whatever was true 50 years ago when your grandma was, you know, coming up is not true today for today's boys, all right? Despite all that though, today's boys are continuously assaulted with feminist agit props. Males are oppressors. Females are oppressed. Masculinity is toxic. There's a glass ceiling for females, and males are privileged, so smash the patriarchy. As the ever insightful substacker John Carter put it in a recent article on Postcards from Barsoom, people say they want their sons to succeed. And uh, that was the title of the article. They say they want their sons to succeed. Great article, great substack. But anyway, in spite of them saying they want their sons to succeed, they relentlessly undermine their sons' chances of success. Where propaganda and gaslighting fail, diversity, inclusion, and equity, die, motherfucker, D.I.E., die, you boys, you scum. Whenever the propaganda and gaslighting fail, the D.I.E. mandates do the job. Wherever men outperform women, as in STEM fields or athletics, measures are taken. To create positions for women. Even if those positions are artificially subsidized by the profits produced by the men. Right? So whenever the boys are doing better than the girls. In a few areas. And I, I think boys do do better. They do worse in grades. But do better on standardized tests. Overall. But they do worse on grades. And now of course they're trying to get a, get rid of standardized tests. Because it's white supremacist. You know even though Asians do the best on standardized test but it's white supremacist and it's the patriarchy you know the boys do better than the girls on the standardized test we can't have that that makes it looks like instead of teaching them you know in knowledge and instead of teaching them you know how to use the knowledge how to reason with it how to you know understand it synthesize analyze all that instead of you teaching them critical thinking skills we've just taught them a bunch of propaganda and the girls are better at regurgitating it than the boys that's why they get better grades but the boys are doing better on the standardized test. We can't have that. We got to get rid of those things. Right? So anyway. Um, yeah. And then in STEM fields and athletics, the boys do better than the girls. But you notice that's where we hear all about the gender pay gap. It's not fair. Why is it the female, you know, soccer players don't make as much as the male soccer players? Well, why is it that nobody fucking watches the female soccer players compete? Whereas lots of people watch the male soccer players maybe not in America, but in foreign countries. And if you look at basketball, NBA versus WNBA, right? Larry David, the uh, comedian once said, you know, what would you rather have? Five? Somebody just give you $5? $5, $5. Would you rather just get $5? Or would you rather your city's WNBA team win a championship? Well, yeah, judging from the response that it got, most people would rather take the $5. And few people even knew what their city's WNBA team was even called. They're like, oh, we have one. I didn't know we had one, you know? Yeah, nobody gives a shit about the WNBA. And in fact, if they, you know, think that they're so good that they should earn the same as the men, then they should do the same work, right? Equal pay for equal work. Just compete in the fucking NBA, just eliminate the WNBA. Put the women, see if they can make it in the NBA, and if they can't, which they can't, then that's it, right? But no, we gotta have, you know, these artificial subsidies, right? So, like Title IX, oh boy, that's been a done a number on college athletics because for every male scholarship you have for athletics, you have to have a female scholarship for athletics, right? And so, what two programs make the money for college athletics departments? Men's football, well, there's no women's football. Men's football and men's basketball. Two men's sports make all the money. Pretty much. At most of these schools. You know, maybe baseball, men's baseball, but definitely it's more so football and, and uh, basketball. But rather than give it, we got to take away some of the scholarships from the football team and from the basketball team, from the men's basketball team, to give scholarships to girls in sports that nobody gives a shit about, nobody watches. Why equity, fool? So, anyway, the men have to subsidize the women in their money-losing sports. Of course, however, whenever the women outperform the men, you notice we don't do that. The chips are just allowed to fall where they may, and the women are left free to enjoy the spoils of victory all by themselves. Yeah, the only way a man can get in on the action in uh, the areas where the women do better are by identifying as a woman. Be a, say you're a woman, and then you can become, you know, a female athlete and take advantage of those scholarships or whatever. Yeah, so anyway, where there are programs, um, you know, basically women do better, particularly there's the gender pay gap going the other way for women in areas of harlotry, because women are naturally better at whoring than men are. Sorry, it's just a fact. Um, yeah, it's the world's oldest profession and women have basically cornered the market. I mean, compared to the average, you know, female hooker, the average gigolo just doesn't make as much money. You know, the average female stripper makes a whole lot more money than the average male stripper and the average, you know, HR person, probably the worst form of harlotry of all, you know. It's typically a woman, right? Women dominate HR and education and nursing and so forth. And where are the affirmative action points given to male applicants in those fields? No, they were just like, well, whatever. Women dominate there. Hey, that's awesome. No need to shake things up there. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Hey, if the women are beating the men, that's what we want. But if the men are beating the women, like, well, engineering, how come more men are going into engineering? We need to fix that. We need programs and we need to spend a lot of money starting at an early age to get the girls to want to become engineers we can't have boys being the majority of any field out there so anyway the woke mafia this is their rebuttal will say oh but you know what about the ceos most of the ceos are, are are men and most of the ceos are white men and you know the presidents are mostly white men doesn't that just prove that male privilege exists, you bigot? Because there's a glass ceiling, right? Hillary Clinton, I mean, you know, she couldn't, you know, in spite of all her likability and integrity and proven track record of, of, uh, yeah, Hillary Clinton, her proven track record of committing felonies, you know, in spite of that, she couldn't win. So that shows. You no, know, it doesn't show anything. Why? Because even if you ignore other factors, such as gender differences and career preferences and desires for part-time work in order to spend more time with children. You know, the fact that men by and large are more willing than women to work more hours and so forth, you know, sacrifice more for their career. Women tend to be more concerned with work-life balance. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's just the way it is. Right. And that's going to play out in terms of, especially when you're looking at people rising to the top of a, a field like politics or, um, or or whatnot, business executives, you know, it's going to be going more towards people who are kind of like maybe one dimensional in terms of their priorities. They sacrifice a lot of things for success at any cost in this field. So, you know, there's that. But that's not even, even if you ignore that, which does explain a lot, but even if you ignore that, there's an, you know, and even also if you ignore that males tend to be more heavily represented at the tail ends of bell curves going in both directions. Right, so if you're talking about, you know, the classic bell curve with IQ, men there's more geniuses and idiots who are males than females. Right, so women are more clustered around the mean. Men, you know, obviously tend to be mostly around the mean as well. But if you're looking at the tail ends, extreme geniuses and extreme idiots, tend to be more men on both ends of the bell curve. So that's something, too, because, you know, when you have people who are drawn from the top 0.1% of their field, well, you're talking about the tail end of a bell curve, and so more men, so there's that. But even if you ignore all those things, right, um, you're still left with the simple fact about today's overwhelmingly male cohort of high-power executives. They're mostly old. They came of age under a very different social order that no longer exists. Today's generation of boys will not benefit in any way from the advantages their grandfathers may have enjoyed. Yet they are being punished for it as if they were responsible. Yeah, so some kind of like the whole Ibram Kendi idea of uh, the only remedy for past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy for present discrimination is future discrimination. So yes, you know, future children will have to pay the penalty for what past generations did. And how do we determine which future generations should pay for the sins of past generations? We look at skin color. We look at gender. We look at, you know, hey, somebody with your, you know, genitalia that's kind of like yours. They did some bad things back in the day. So now you got to pay for it, you know. So anyway, today's generation of boys won't benefit from the patriarchy that may have existed in 1960. But they're still being punished for it as if they were responsible. Uh, John Carter, I'm you know, linking to his article on his Substack, Postcards from Barsoom uh, at barsoom.substack.com. There's a great article. They, they say they want their sons to succeed in which he talks about this phenomenon. Highly recommend it. That whole Substack. Uh, so yeah, among the older generations, men did better than women. But if we're going to use 50-year-old data... To justify discriminating against today's boys, why don't we use other anachronisms to inform today's education? Why don't we teach children how to use rotary phones and room-sized punch card programmed computers? Huh? Lots changed since 1972. Why don't we teach, why don't we just, instead of teaching them how to use, you know, graphic calculators and all that, let them use slide rules. Hey, take away the the calculator altogether. Have them use an abacus. You know, let's just use the old technology Since we're going to use old data You know, the world Like it hasn't changed since 1972 When it comes to race and gender We're just going to pretend like We're still living in 1972 And all this stuff Because you notice with, with a lot of the talk on The patriarchy Or white supremacy you, you get You start questioning And if you don't get some vague It's the system, man You get historical data which i'm not saying that historical data is irrelevant but you got to tie that into today's present reality you got to make a causal connection and you got to you got to show your work you can't just point to like well 50 years ago this was happening and uh today there's a one-to-one correlation if, if you know Males are, you know, doing better in this field than the females are, which many fields are not today. But in these fields, like STEM, they are. The the only possible explanation is that women were not allowed outside of the home until, you know, sometime in the 20th century. Like they couldn't even own property, you know, without the husband cosigning or blah, blah, blah. So it's like, you know, obviously today's girls, that's the only explanation if they're not, you know, going into engineering at the rates that boys are. It's like, nah, there's a lot more variables and factors at work than just gender here, or just, you know, some sort of gender-based discrimination. Especially when all the propaganda has been going the other way for at least the past 50 years, and there's quotas, and there's, you know, oh, you gotta have an equal number of scholarships for the men and the women. Unless the women get more than the men, in which case that's okay. But the men cannot be allowed to win anything. So, anyway, why do we use old obsolete data about race or gender? Uh, maybe because using obsolete information to inform today's culture wars is useful to someone. Now, that's a question to ask. Who might it be useful to, to keep acting like, you know, the, the reality when it comes to race and gender in America is uh, the same as it was in 1972. So, basically, whatever was true then must be true now. And we need to keep... Uh, the boys of today, especially white boys of today, need to pay for, you know, these things that were going on in 1972. Full stop. Or in the case of race, 1962. Uh, <clears throat> and if you're a white male, you're double plus ungood. Yeah, here's a, bit, a new speak from 1984. You're not just bad. You're ungood. And in fact, if you're white male, you're double plus ungood. To keep this article from getting too long, I'll save the part about anti-white racism a la the quack Dr. Ibram X. Kennedy for a separate article. But suffice it to say, if being male is bad by itself, being a white male is twice as evil. Nay, white manhood is evil squared. Evil raised to the 10th power. Real instances of white against black racism are increasingly rare. But whenever they occur, they're broadcast as a leading story 24-7 for weeks. As if, you know, it's like, this is the norm. You know, even though if you really count, you can count on probably one hand, the number of these stories that make, that actually occur, you know, glaring instances of white racism, you know, causing black, you know, crimes against, hate crimes against blacks. It's Pretty rare. But when it happens, boy, they make the most of it. They promote it front page news, coast to coast, you know, the, the leading story on all these news sites the leading story on cable news all these talking heads talking about white supremacy and you know the white rage you got mark general mark milley instead of talking about how did we just fuck up so bad in afghanistan why are we having trouble you know or why is our intelligence so bad why is our you know leadership so bad instead of talking about any of that stuff Let's talk about understanding white rage and domestic extremism a la only on the right, only among whites. You know, so we're not going to talk about really black Hebrew Israelites, you know. No, we need to talk about white rage because they're the enemy. So anyway, if there's a story where a white person commits a hate crime against a black person, you hear all about it. But, contrast that with the far more prevalent instances of black against white racism, which is buried, ignored, hand-waved away by our culture's mainstream media and influencers. Yep, because in the interracial violence, white against black or black against white, 85% of it is committed by blacks against whites. But you would not know that from the mainstream media coverage. And given to the... You know, white people outnumber black people by several multiples. You know, that, it says, well, the crime rate of or the rate of interracial committing hate crimes against another racial group or crimes in general against another racial group, white people seem to have more to fear from black people than black people from white people. But the way the media portrays it is the complete opposite. So, uh, you know, somebody, some white guy going and shooting up a grocery store in Buffalo after posting a bunch of racist nonsense online. That's treated as, this is the norm. This is, see, we told you. This is how America really is. America's bigoted. And how can we fix it? How can we address the problem of white nationalism, white rage, white racism, white this and that. White people are the problem, right? The president drops everything to go pay a visit. But if a black career criminal calls for violence against white people and then decides to drive his SUV into a Christmas parade to kill and maim as many white people as possible in Waukesha, uh, Wisconsin. You know, the mainstream media, do they describe it as, oh my goodness, there's this problem of, you know, black people being radicalized to hate white people. There's a problem of black racism and black supremacy. Nope. They talk about it like the SUV drove itself into the parade. Yeah, a lot of the headlines were like SUV, you know, Kills or SUV drives and plows into Christmas parade or whatever Doesn't talk about a black guy with black supremacist ideology And anti-white racist ideas that he freely shared online and never got canceled Um, You know decided to take action based on his ideology And target white people No nope, no words no you know that's that's buried right No presidential visit either Um, So anyway, as I said, I'll write a separate article about this phenomenon of anti-white racism, but for now, let me just ask, why do we say their names and encourage fiery but mostly peaceful protests for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, but not for Tony Tempa or Duncan Lemp? Maybe you haven't heard of those two, but um, check them out. Tony Tempa or Duncan Lemp. Just two, but there are many others. In fact, the majority of people killed by police, um, or or I, I should say the group that had the, the demographic that has more people killed by police than any other is white, white males specifically, but whites in general, much, I mean, I'll, I'll, quite a bit more than blacks, but you don't ever hear about it. And so it makes it seem like the police are only targeting black people. It makes it seem like, Oh, it is very racist. How come the police never kill white people? They just kill black people. No, they actually kill more black, white people than black people. And, um, yeah, and people will say, well, but there's a percentage of the population is disproportionate. Yeah, but uh, what about crime rates? What about living in high crime neighborhoods? What about living in you know areas where there's more violent crime happening? And uh, the fact that you know there's a demographic that's 13 percent of the population, but commits over 50 percent, over 50 percent of the murders. Right. So are they going to have more police interaction? So you got to look at that based on. Incidents of police interaction, which group gets killed most frequently by police? And you'll find it's actually white people. So, yeah, that whole um, narrative is a lie, basically. BLM stands for bullshitters, liars, and manipulators, or burn, loot, mur- murder, or uh, you know, whatever. Black leftist Marxism. I don't know. Take your pick. The, it just showed, though, that the. the you know, there's a lot of money to be made in nonprofit activism. What a surprise that their, you know, Marxist co founders went on to become multi millionaire real estate tycoons based on their uh, selfless work for which they were highly paid by BLM. So, anyway, how does a male, especially a white male, succeed in 21st century America? Um, by playing victimology poker, of course. The way victimology poker works is this. Your hand improves with each intersectional trait that takes you away from being a straight, white, cis, heteronormative male, a.k.a. an oppressor, and closer to being a gay, black, non-binary, trans female, a.k.a. a perfect angel of a victim. If you're a straight, white male, your victimology poker hand goes something like this. A two of clubs, a three of hearts, a five of diamonds, a seven of spades, and... And you do not get a fifth card because you're already so privileged, you evil oppressor. You get four cards and it's shit. No matches, no pairs, no straights, no flushes, nothing. So unless you come from money, i.e. you're part of the elite class running this clown show, you're screwed. Because you'll lose every hammer of victimology poker is being played. Now, of course, I want to just point out, rich white people are still doing very well. And somehow, rich white people have convinced minorities, especially black people, that they, the rich white people who go to Ivy League institutions and write you know, for like the biggest you know, legacy media outlets on the planet uh, that ha- hold positions of power and influence in government and in corporate America and the financial sector. They've somehow, as a group, these rich white people have convinced black people that they, the rich white people, are on their side. We're good allies of you guys. But it's these evil white people... That you know live in the trailer parks. They're the enemy. They're the ones holding you down. It's Joe the plumber. He's a hes a evil bigot. He's the one holding you down. Doing his plumbing. You know. Asking a question of the president. Just because the president is black. He would criticize him. And he's a plumber. That just shows he's part of the enemy class. Right. So somehow. If you're working class white. You're the one oppressing. Working class blacks. Or better yet oppressing ivy league educated ngo um leadership role having black people you're the oppressor if you're a uh, regular blue collar white person so anyway if you're a um, straight white male your victimology poker hand is crap you, you know you're gonna lose every hand that's played and here's the thing um Victimology poker is the name of the game in corporate America, academia, government, politics, mass media, entertainment, big tech, banking, etc. They've gone from calling it affirmative action to calling it equity, as in diversity, equity, and inclusion mandates, to now it's going to be ESG scores. So, yeah, if you want a good ESG score, better show the diversity in your ranks. And by diversity, we mean everybody but straight white males. So, anyway. You know, essentially, if you're a straight white male, you need to find a productive job to do like plumbing or bricklaying, which will have high social utility, but relatively low status and pay. Of course, this is unless you're rich. If you come from money, then, of course, you can be like Justin Trudeau in Canada. And, you know, you're the ally. You're the one. You're the good guy. You're helping everybody out who's oppressed, even though you're rich and powerful. You're, you're an ally. The whole system's corrupt, and you lead the system, but you're an ally. But the person being crushed under the system, who's committing suicide, you know, getting addicted to opioids, out of work, you know, struggling in the heartland of America, that you know, broke-ass white person, they're the enemy. So anyway, if you become, um, so there's that. You're straight white cis male. Fuck you. But if you're gay or better yet, trans, then you get to join the alphabet pride commissars and your hand immediately increases in value. Being trans is an ace and being female is another ace. Hey, the science has decreed that trans women are women, full stop, so you just went from having a hand of straight garbage to a pair of aces just by identifying as trans. How marvelous. And if you're a trans-female lesbian, because you still like the ladies, you get another ace. And if your girlfriend is also trans-female, you get still another ace, so you get four aces. Boom! Beat that, suckas! And if you're a trans-female lesbian... Oh, I'm sorry, I just read that. Other intersectional identities get varying points. Being Hispanic is tricky because if Hispanic's on the political right and believes in traditional gender norms, he or she is white, such as Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio... Or even Maya Flores uh, out of Texas. Yep, she's white adjacent. White supremacist, even though she's brown-skinned. But if Hispanic is on the political left and is a true believer in the state-sponsored religion of wokeism with all its gobbledygook about gender, then that Hispanic is a person of color, e.g. AOC. Now, why is AOC considered a POC but Marco Rubio is not? It's the magic of wokeism. Anyway, being Hispanic and woke gets you a pair of kings, but being Hispanic and MAGA gets you kicked out of the game. Being Asian is like having a pair of jacks. In a contest with a straight white male, and here we're still using the poker analogy, victimology poker. In a contest with a straight white male, you win. You got a pair of jacks, the straight white male has nothing. But in any contest with a black person, you lose. That's why hashtag stop Asian hate applies only when Asians are attacked by white criminals, but not when they're attacked by black criminals, even though blacks commit far more anti-Asian hate crimes than whites. That's just a fact. They do. Most of the, and by they, I'm not saying, again, a, a minority of black people are criminals. So I'm not wanting to imply that black people, you know, are, are, are criminal class as a whole, but these are the numbers, all right? More of the anti-Asian hate crimes are committed by black people than by white people, even though black people are a much smaller demographic. So why is that? And yet, white people get blamed for it. Um, that's why it's okay for colleges to discriminate against Asians in admissions because it helps less qualified black applicants. So yeah, Harvard's got too many Asians. We got to discriminate against Asians to help the blacks out, right? Cause stay woke y'all. Now here's the best hands you can have. If you are a black trans female lesbian with Down syndrome, someone like Ibram X. Kendi You basically have a royal flush. Because Ibram X. Kendi, I mean, that's why that quack, Dr. Kendi, gets highly paid and heavily promoted by the ruling class to spout her moronic garbage. She was born a black male with Down syndrome named Henry Rogers. Now, please don't cancel me for dead naming Ibram Kendi, but that's how she was born. She was born a he, Henry Rogers. And so she kind of started off with a full house in the victimology poker game of life already because she's a... Was born a black male with Down syndrome, right? Um, But then when when Henry Rogers transitioned to become Ibram Kendi, and went from being a black male with Down syndrome to being a trans female, um, you know, I think she like grew out her dreadlocks or whatever. It's like that shows, you know, she's like a woman now. She's got the long hair. She doesn't wear dresses, but you know, you don't have to if you're a woman like Britney Griner, right? is uh, you'd never catch her in a dress. Um, in fact, there's pictures of Brittany Griner going around of her playing basketball topless. And you're like, is this a woman? Like, this looks like a man. But anyway, whatever. Um, but yeah, when anyway, when Henry Riders transitioned to become Ibram Kendi and became a trans female, then she just enhanced her already awesome victimology poker hand. She became so incredibly intersectional that she was given a bullshit honorary degree in African-American studies. Uh, boy, doesn't that sound like a rigorous field? From Temple, and then hired by The Atlantic to write anti-white racist doggerel. Now, major institutions hire this trans woman at six figures a pop to lecture them on how systemically racist everything is. That's the value of victimhood. So if you're a black trans female uh, lesbian with Down syndrome, like Ibram Kendi, you have a royal, you had basically got a royal flush. Um, side note: I wonder how many, how much money large corporations and institutions paid MLK and Malcolm X to speak about the real racism they were fighting in the 1960s. Probably not much. Real racists don't pay you to talk about how racist they are, and they don't promote your anti-white racist books and make them number one New York Times bestsellers. But anyway. Uh, yeah, something about Ibram Kendi, you know, America is racist, and so who does he, who endorses him and pays him so highly, and promotes his shit? Uh, the people leading the institutions that govern our society, and so if they're they're the they're running the system that is supposedly so racist, and yet they're paying Ibram Kendi to talk about how racist their system is, something just doesn't quite add up there. But I guess you know when you're like Ibram Kendi and you have Down syndrome, you don't notice. Um, And he's making a lot of money also not to notice In fact, he tweeted once About how white people are so evil You know, basically uh, That white students When they apply for college Will sometimes Say they're not white They'll sometimes pretend to be some other race Or some other ethnicity And then somebody pointed out Hey, uh, Ibram, this kind of indicates That maybe there's not an advantage to being white Maybe they're disadvantaged And they're, you know incentivized to not identify as white because they don't really have any privileges that come with being white but there's more privileges that come with being say black or brown right and even Kennedy rather than saying hmm that's a good point that kind of does maybe i need to consider that and reevaluate my position no instead of that he just deleted it just ignore it if there's a, a bit of truth that you come in contact with that kind of contradicts your worldview just uh, ignore it that's the best way to go about that just stay woke y'all So anyway, as a white male, you'll never have the incredible victimology poker hand of an Ibram Kendi, but you can vastly improve your position by identifying as gay. Hey, get fucked up the ass and you immediately become a better person. Better yet, get castrated, get fake boobs, and identify as a woman. Then you'll have a good identity to replace that bad identity you were born with. And James Lindsay has done a lot to say this pattern really looks a lot like Mao's Cultural Revolution in Communist China. Um... You may have been born with a bad identity, white male, but you can exchange that for a good and politically useful identity by becoming trans. So anyway, this raises a question. Why are men encouraged to act like women? This leads to the question, why are men being encouraged to act like women? Why are American males being encouraged to pretend to be female? Why would such a strange fashion emerge in our culture, and why would that trend be encouraged by our culture's most powerful institutions? As George Carlin noted, we've been seeing an ever-increasing pussification of the American male. And Carlin's been dead since 2008, prior to the full-on assault of all the trans women or women bullshit, so imagine what he would say today. Rape is a crime almost exclusively committed by men against women, and if you have a ruling elite that wants to rape the American people politically and economically, then getting the men to identify as women would sure be helpful to that agenda. Raise up a generation of coddled, chemically castrated males who want to wear dresses and act like bitches, and you have a population that is easier to control. And that, I believe, is the end game of victimology poker, the destruction of manhood and the subjugation of a feminized population. That is the real reason our ruling elites are pushing this self-sabotaging game so hard on the American people. Um, yeah, but, you know, anyway, if you agree, disagree, you can go to the Substack article at the and The article is entitled Victimology Poker. It was originally published on July 9th. Uh, comment there if you want. Let me know what you think. Agree? Disagree? Um, and right now I'm recording this audio uh, version of this. It is uh, Tuesday, July 26, 2022. And I am Daniel D. This is the Ghost in the Machine podcast. Or A Ghost in the Machine podcast. Maybe there are many Ghost in the Machine podcasts. And this is just one. I don't know. But this is A Ghost in the Machine podcast. By Daniel D. That's me. And this is Victimology Poker. Um, anyway. Till next time, y'all. Subscribe to my podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss out on future episodes. Also, check out my Substack. You know, there's stuff on there you can read. um, You can subscribe to it there as well and get both the essays when I write them and the audio when I release them. So anyway, till next time, y'all. Peace out.